This week on the Pressure Cast, Yakuza 6 gets a release date, 2K Games gets humble, and Nintendo Switch wins July. It's Monday, August 21st, 2017. Everything happened in the world of video games is here, now, on the Pressure Cast. Hey, hey, Pressure Pals, welcome to the 195th episode of the Pressure Cast. Video games are dumb.com's weekly news panic that posts every single Monday on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, TuneIn Radio, and America's longest running independent newspaper at shepherdexpress.com. If you're looking for the video or audio version of this episode, check the description on your podcast app or this uh, YouTube page. I don't know whatever to call this, just the YouTube video description. I guess you can just check right there. Look there if you're interested. We have a lot to get to this week. We're going to be talking about all the upcoming games and the hype train. We're going to be talking about the legal business and financial news in the chart park and then we're going to wrap it all up by talking about what happened 10 years ago and beyond in strong history it's a fun show stay tuned but what a week it has been i've been spending a lot of time playing downloadable games this was the week where just everything was downloadable and it was all it was all really interesting of course i was playing undertale which is that rpg that came out back in 2015 i played that on the pc when it came out i have now been playing the uh playstation 4 version of it it's awesome and also it's cross by so you get the uh the vita version along with it though i have not checked out how it performs uh, on the vita i also got a copy of sonic mania which is on the xbox one the playstation 4 uh nintendo switch pc i'm kind of surprised that isn't on something like the vita because that's a really hardcore crowd but uh sonic mania it's an interesting game i have a i have a lot of thoughts on it that i'll get to uh, later in the week when i put out uh, a video uh but yes we have a lot to get to in this episode but before we do i've been getting a lot of questions about what are we going to do for the 200th episode of the pressure cast it's only five weeks away and I do have a plan. It might not be the kind of plan that you guys might like, but it's my plan for the 200th episode. Probably cancellation. I want to be real with you guys for just one moment. The pressure cast, the ratings, they're really bad. And they've been really bad for a really long time. So I don't know what else I can do with this show. We haven't really gotten any reviews on iTunes. You know, it's... Mm. What else can I say? So I want to get to 200 episodes and then call it quicks on the call it quicks, <laughs> call it quits on the pressure cast and then move on to do something else. Because this show, even though I love the fact that people have stuck with it and they listen to it every single week and I really appreciate that. I truly, truly, truly do. The ratings are bad. Like we're getting 100 people all together combined every week now. That's that's horrible. That is horrible. So I'm sorry. I want to get views. I want to get uh, I want to get more subscribers. So I have to move on to something else. But that is five weeks away. I just wanted to give you a heads up. I didn't want this to be one of those things where it's like, well, what happened to the show? Now you know. And I put it right at the beginning because no one actually listens to the show beyond the first 15 minutes, even though it's over an, over an hour long show. This is another reason it's getting canceled. I'm sorry. I'm just being real with you. But now that I've told you something, we're going to switch over to the segment where you tell me something. This is that part of the show we like to call, Tell Me, God Damn It. Yes, Tell Me, God Damn It. This is the segment where we discuss a question. I put out a question and you respond. You respond by either emailing me your answer or leaving a comment on YouTube or, or tweeting me or whatever you do. However you contact me. I, I take your answer. I read it on the air and then we discuss it. It's a good time. Well, last week we were talking all about uh, genres. You know, there's different genres of games. First person shooter, third person shooter. Are there any things beyond shooters? 
I don't know. That's all I play is just shooters. I'm kidding. But the point is that there are specific genres that get really popular, like, remember Tony Hawk skateboarding games? And then we had <laughs> we had people that were like, making games like Aggressive Inline and, um, God, what was the one I wanted to think of? It was like the surfing game. I can't remember the name of it. But we have these genres that get really big for a little bit and then they disappear and it's like, well, what the hell? What happened? You know, I want to see more of those types of games. So I put out the question where I said, what kind of genre would you like to see make a big time return where lots of different publishers and lots of different developers would have a hand in it? What is your genre that you want to see come back? And you guys did answer. We're going to start off with Sasuke27013. He said, would love to personally see horror games based on Japanese legends and movies to be the next big thing. A game based off of Ringo, Juan, Split Mouth Woman, uh, Taki Taki, I'm not familiar with that one. Onibaba the girl uh, from the Gape Gap? Girl from the Gap, not the Gape. Oh, that is a very different movie. Uh, any of these would make great horror games. And I gotta agree with you, Sasuke. If I can vamp on this for just one second, there is a clear lack of Japanese horror games these days. Even though horror games seem to be really popular, we still see a lot of first-person horror games that are they're independent released on Steam, it seems every single week. And even though we have that abundance of horror games, they're just <laughs> They're just not the same as the Japanese style of horror games. Look at look at a series like uh, Silent Hill or Siren or Fatal Frame or Clock Tower or even the original Resident Evils. They have a completely different texture than Western horror. Like an in instance for Silent Hill, I always got the vibe that there was something worse than death. Like this wasn't just some psycho that was going to stab me or I'd be trapped inside of like a prison. This was something that was worse than hell it was almost like an it wasn't like an afterlife it was like an anti-life it's really hard to describe but if you ever played Silent Hill you probably know what I'm talking about but we also got a response from Joe here's what Joe said I'd like to see the rhythm and uh, music games make a comeback and be the next big thing unfortunately these games usually get popular with games that become almost like fads for a period of time like Guitar Hero and Rock Band but then the genre seems stagnant until the next big one comes along. I love those games but I think the part of the issue nowadays is the instruments required to play them takes up too much space when technology over the last decade has focused on decluttering our living rooms and making things smaller. Well Joe don't worry I have great news for you you want another uh, rhythm and music game don't worry Just Dance 2018 is only two months away. Okay, probably not what you meant, uh, but you don't have to convince me. I'm a huge fan of music games. Heck, I pretty much played nothing but Beatles Rock Band for three months straight. Seriously, I, I played a lot of Beatles Rock Band. I downloaded all the DLC, and then I learned how to play uh, the drums. <laughs> and long story short, I learned how to play multiple instruments at once. I used to do it. It was, it was a really dark time in my life, uh, and I would do it again, though. But it's funny, when we talk about the music and, and rhythm genre, there's only one studio that's really keeping it alive, and that is Ubisoft, which is kind of weird, right? You don't think Ubisoft, you don't think music and, and rhythm right away. Even though Just Dance is super popular, you know, Just Dance is the obvious choice, people often forget that Ubisoft also released games like uh, Rocksmith, which is the guitar teaching game. You actually plug a guitar in, and if you're thinking Rocksmith, they haven't made one of those in a couple of years, you're right, but they still support it. In fact, they released... Uh, three new song packs in the past three weeks alone. I'm talking things like Muddy Waters. They just released a Muddy Waters pack and they had one that was for music from 2010. I don't know why it was just focused on music from 2010, but that's what it was. So yes, Ubisoft still produces a lot of different um, of rhythm games. So yeah, I, I agree. I would like to see more music stuff, even if it's not like Rock Band, even if it doesn't have plastic instruments, like things like Prappa the Rappa, Um Jamalami, Guitaru, uh, 
Guitaro Man? Yeah, Guitaro Man. I almost said Guitaro Hero. Or hell, if you really want some good rhythm games, play the latest Guitar Hero. It was really good. It was released back in 2015, and they still support it. It basically has free DLC. It's like a live streaming service, so you don't actually download songs. It's really fun. I highly recommend it. And the new six-button controller... It was super good. Anyway, T.E.G. Hunt, he also wrote in. Here's what he said. Light guns, baby. Bring back Die Hard. And that's all he said. But I have to agree with him, especially about Die Hard. I actually bought a copy of Die Hard Trilogy two years ago for the PlayStation 1. Still haven't opened it, but it, it is an amazing game. I played it back in 1996. Five? 1996. That came out in 1996. Uh, but you're right. The light gun genre, it, it, it's been gone for a while. Even though it had a, a bit of a bump last generation on the Nintendo Wii, there were those uh, Resident Evil shooters that were okay. Not not amazing, but they were okay. There were no House of the Dead, but they were, they were okay for zombie light gun shooters. They had that Dead Space thing that was actually pretty decent. Even Nintendo themselves, they made Link's crossbow training. Thinking about that, just... Nintendo made a light gun shooter. I mean, obviously they made things like, you know, Gumshoe and, and Duck Hunt, and then they had the um, uh, the Super Shooter on the Super Nintendo, but they didn't have one on the 64, they didn't have one on the GameCube, and, and it, it really made a, a comeback on the Nintendo Wii, but we never talk about that. But for me personally, deep down, the, the my favorite light gun shooters have to be those Namco shooters, like Point Blank, which are really wacky and bizarre. And in case you don't know, Point Blank is basically a light gun shooter except it's mashed up with WarioWare. If that sounds bizarre to you, you really need to try it out. Just look it up right now and do not play the DS version of it. It's not the same. You need a gun in your hand. Same with Time Crisis, another great Namco shooter. An amazing franchise. In fact, I used to play uh, Time Crisis 2 on the PlayStation 2 every day for about a month straight because you could beat the game in 90 minutes. Like I would just come home and beat Time Crisis, and then I'd be done playing video games for the day. Also, it had alternate paths because there were two players at once. It was badass. It was really badass. And finally, we have James, and here's what he says. It's kind of a niche genre, but I wish there were more 3D platformer slash physics games like Super Monkey Ball and Marble Blast Ultra. Super Monkey Ball hasn't been good since the PS2 slash GameCube era, in my opinion. I'm going to agree with you there. And the company that made Marble Blast Ultra, which was an Xbox 360 arcade game, now that the game is unlisted and unavailable to purchase, the studio went bankrupt and the game is dead forever. Luckily, since I purchased it back in 2006, I can still play it on my 360 and still continue uh, to play it from time to time. It just sucks that there aren't many modern titles like this. Uh, if I can add to that list, I have not played Marvel Marvel Blast, but I assume it might have some similarities with... Um, uh, Marble Madness, the original Marble Madness, where you just control the marble around the uh, stage. And it's funny that you mentioned this because I was thinking the exact same thing just a couple of weeks ago about physics. Like, do you remember when they very first introduced Havoc physics, like the Havoc physics engine, or when Half-Life 2 introduced the Source engine and they were showing off the physics? It just seemed like physics were going to be a bigger part of video games. And of course they are, to a certain degree. Most major games have independent values of weight to every single object in a room. Well, they say that, but then there's sometimes where you can't even affect the backgrounds. Like you can smash into walls and you don't see anything happen, or you can hit an object and it doesn't move. That's kind of lame, because back in the day, there were lots of crumbling bodies and, and buildings that would collapse in on themselves. It was incredible. But yes, monkey ball. And I guess this Marble Madness type game, those are super niche, but incredible games. They deserve more attention. But here's a fun fact for you. I was thinking about Marble Madness and check this out. In case you don't know, Marble Madness is a game where you control a marble 
and you try and end it up in a goal. It's a really popular game. You can look it up. I'm sure you recognize it. Almost everyone has played it. It's been released on every console, I think, since uh, it was released in 1984. And when it was released back in 1984, Marble Madness was a big deal because it was designed by a 20-year-old. Yeah, a 20-year-old made a video game. And this is back in the day where you had to really know engineering and art and all those types of things. It's not like he just went and used a computer and figured it out. Like, arcade cabinets, they were hardcore. Um, but this dude became a bit of a journeyman. You know, he made Marble Madness at 20 years old, and then he worked, went on to work on things like uh, Sonic 2 and Crash Bandicoot and Knack. Yes, Knack. He also worked on Knack. But he's probably most famous for being the lead architect of the PlayStation 4 because his name is Mark Cerny. That's right, that 20-year-old who made Marble Madness 30 years ago is Mark Cerny. So if anyone can make a marble game, make a comeback, it's him. I mean, he got Knack made. What more do you need? <laughs> he's got the power of the PlayStation. He can control this. Just flip a switch. Tell him we want more marble games. Just putting it out there. Anyway, everyone that wrote on... For tell me, goddammit, I want to say those are all excellent responses. And uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for writing and giving me your answers. Really, really thoughtful answers that I wouldn't have thought of on my own. And that, that's what makes this so interesting is it's, you know, the exchange of ideas and all that good stuff. Um, but once again, most of the answers came from the YouTube comment section. Don't be shy. If you don't want to answer the question on YouTube, if you're listening to the audio version of the show, you can email, you can text, you can uh, voice message, you can tweet. Just check the description of this episode. You'll find it all right there. It's awesome. But let's move on to next week's question. I was almost going to say next week's answer, but that doesn't make any sense. Next week's question. So last Tuesday, Sonic Mania was released, and many are calling this game a return to form for the Sonic franchise after a lengthy period of missteps. Now, before we go any further, I do want to point out that Tell Me Goddammit is a positive segment. This is a segment where we want to be happy. But the question is, or I guess the request I have is, what franchise do you feel hasn't lived up to its prior glory? And in a hypothetical scenario, you want to see this franchise make a return. Kind of like Sonic Mania did, where the fans are like, this is exactly what I want. So think about a franchise that you're like, mm, this was great. I used to love this. These new games, they are not for me. And stay positive and just be like, this, this game... It's making a comeback. And of course, there's only one rule to tell me, goddammit, if you've never listened to the show or watched the show before. Tell me, goddammit, is all about your deepest desire. It doesn't matter if there's absolutely no chance of it happening. It doesn't matter if the studio closed. It doesn't matter if the people that were originally involved are dead. This is where dreams come true. So tell me your response, Twitter, email, text message, voice message, whatever, or the comments section and stay positive. What game fell off track and you want to put it back on the track? All right. You know, I was just reading all those excellent responses. I totally forgot to give my own answer. There's one genre that I think needs to make a comeback, and it hasn't been seen in over 30 years, and it's a, it's a, it's a genre that... Sorry, sorry, I don't, I don't know what that was about. What I'm trying to say is that there's one genre that, for some reason, I think it could have changed video games forever. I don't even think, like, Nintendo or Sony or Microsoft would even be in video games had this genre taken off, because Atari would make so much money just from this... What is that? Oh my goodness, I heard toots. Beep, beep. Of course, it's the hype train. Feel the PR vibrations as we barrel towards video game satisfaction station on the hype train. This is the part of the show we talk about all those upcoming video games and events to get you hyped up to spend all your money and become a video game guru. And we're going to start this uh, we're going to start off this hype train by talking about Xbox and uh, its current state in the industry. Now, We've become accustomed to talking about Xbox 
when it comes to future projects, such as the Project Scorpio, which we now know is the Xbox One X. And we're certainly going to be talking about that a little bit. But it's important to look at this generation so far and see exactly where Microsoft and where the Xbox brand is going wrong. And if you hear that reluctance in my voice right now, it's because I, I realize how this might look and how this might sound. It, it appears that I'm just going to be negative, that I'm just going to be shitting all over Xbox. But I want to make this clear. This isn't me trying to downplay the brand's prior successes. In fact, if you enjoy modern interfaces on consoles, you can thank Xbox for that. If you like... Uh, you know, the, the cross-game unification of online services like PlayStation Network or Nintendo Switch, you can thank Xbox Live. And if you enjoy the popularization of first-person shooters on consoles, you can thank Halo. Of course, there was GoldenEye before, but Halo really brought it into uh, the online age. And you can always just draw a straight line back to Xbox for so many brilliant innovations. They don't often invent concepts, but it's undeniable they've perfected many of these ideas that we take for granted in 2017. Of course, that was before 2013, when they launched the Xbox One, which wasn't great. It was not great. But we're here to talk about one very specific problem that unfortunately resurfaced this week. I exclusives. Everyone's been talking about this. And that's because Microsoft announced that their open-world third-person shooter Crackdown 3, one of their flagship titles for this fall, has been delayed from November 7th, to spring 2018 we don't have a release date just spring 2018 while speaking with polygon shannon lotifs loftus shannon loftus yes she is the microsoft studios general manager she stated that the delay was made because quote we want to make sure to deliver the right game with the right quality at the right time crackdown 3 is a hugely ambitious game and we want to ensure we deliver the right experiences all the way through every part of the game whether it's campaign co-op multiplayer or cooperative multiplayer mode Wrecking Zone, end quote. I like that she fit in a little bit of a plug there, Wrecking Zone. Now, this game has had a fairly strange development cycle, at least by modern standards, being announced all the way back during E3 2014. And when it was revealed, the head of Xbox, Phil Spencer, continuously hammered home the idea of cloud computing and real-time destruction. Unlike other games that we play today, uh, when, you, when you play a game right now, it's relying solely on the hardware, the local hardware, your PlayStation 4, your Xbox One, your PC, or your Nintendo Switch, is rendering the action. Uh, but Crankdown 3 was going to be using a brand new technique where it would use advanced cloud technology to calculate massive buildings being destroyed within an open world during a multiplayer session. That's pretty badass. But Crankdown 3's uh, appearances at press conferences and at events, as well as news updates, or really any information, became less frequent as time went on. And of course, everything goes through a dark period, but we expect a little bit of news or just like a reference here or there, even if it's just on something like Twitter or, or whatever. And with each passing E3, commentators out there, such as yours truly, the one you're listening to right now, incorrectly predicted that Crackdown 3 would be releasing shortly. And once again, we've all been proven wrong. We all thought this fall, finally, we would have Crackdown 3, but that's not the case. Of course, being wrong isn't the big problem. <laughs> that's not the issue. But Crackdown 3 was one of the few true Microsoft exclusives set for this fall. And now it's been delayed. The conversation has started again. Where are the Xbox One exclusives? Especially when the PlayStation 4 is, uh, is attracting third-party developers left and right, and Nintendo Switch is dropping well-received exclusives every single month. It's probably the best launch of any Nintendo console ever. 
But to understand this, we need to take a look at the exclusives that have already been released on the Xbox One, and contrary to popular belief, there are in fact a lot of them. When compared against the PlayStation 4, Microsoft had the clear advantage only a couple of years ago. Games like Sunset Overdrive, a Titanfall, Halo 5 Guardians, Dead Rising 3, multiple Forza titles, and Ori and the Blind Forest were all reviewed really well. Not to mention exclusive packages such as the Master Chief Collection and Rare Replay. Rare Replay is amazing if you've never had a chance to sit down and use it, especially if you want to see some ZX Spectrum games in HD. It's, it's, it's amazing. And to be clear, all the titles I just mentioned, they were released between the launch in 2013 and the end of 2015, two years into the console war or whatever you want to call it. Now, that's not to say that the PlayStation 4 didn't also have exclusives during that period. Of course, there was Bloodborne, The Order 1886, Infamous Second Son, Killzone, Killzone Shadowfall, as well as smaller Japanese and indie titles. But compare any of those games against Halo and Forza and Titanfall, and it's clear that Microsoft had the star power it needed to succeed. But it didn't. And we could go into the whole debacle about the Xbox One's PR meltdown during E3 2013, and also the disastrous debut of the console where it mostly focused on the TV functionality. And to be clear, I still believe that is the reason the Xbox brand has lost so much ground just this generation. They lost on price, uh, they lost on power, their messaging was confusing, and Sony simply told a better story, which is a shame because the Xbox One is a perfectly capable console. I don't want to get this all messed up here. The Xbox One is a great console. If you own one, you know this. If you don't own one, I'm, I'm sure you've seen at least a couple of exclusives that you went, yeah, that looks awesome, right? You must have because it's a, it's a totally capable console. But if you look closely, sales aren't the reason that the Xbox One has uh, had a lack of exclusives over the past year. In fact, if you ask me, the exclusive drought was the plan all along. See, when you look at the Xbox 360 library, you see a pretty familiar pattern. Within the first two years, the first Gears of War launched, Halo 3 was released, Crankdown 1 came out, Blue Dragon was an attempt at JRPGs, Forza 2 was released, and yes, they were only at <laughs> two Forza games, uh, and all of those games were released in the first two years of the Xbox 360. That's a lot of exclusives. And I'm not even mentioning the lesser known titles like the Amp 3, Perfect Dark Zero, uh, Fusion Frenzy 2, all of those also released within the first two years. First party Xbox 360 exclusives. Well, kind of first party. I mean, Gears of War was also on PC. We're going to ignore the whole PC debacle. That's an entirely different story. I don't think that really influences anything, especially when a lot of PlayStation 4 games are also on PC. Uh, and with the 360 being hugely successful, why wouldn't Microsoft look at that pattern and try to recreate it? Flood the first couple of years of a brand new generation with exclusives and allow the sales momentum to fund sequels and third-party partnerships. It's worked in the past, and by all means, it should have worked on the Xbox One this time. But unfortunately, this generation is completely different. For all the reasons the PlayStation 4 was a success, it's hard to argue exclusives were the major factor. And I'm not trying to downplay how great games like Nier Automata uh, or uh, Horizon Zero Dawn or even Persona 5 was, but they weren't given you know, an E3 stage presentation during 2014, a really important year, the year when Xbox started to slip up. But you know what was at the stage at E3 in 2014? <laughs> 
That was a clumsy way to say that. But what I'm trying to say is that E3 2014, none of those games were there. But you know what was there? Crackdown 3, Project Spark, Scalebound, Phantom Dust, the reboot of Phantom Dust. Well, the last two of those games were straight up canceled by Microsoft. Uh, obviously, Crackdown 3 has yet to be released. And Project Spark was shut down last year. And unfortunately, that's the real issue with Xbox. A series of bad bets, whether it's the Kinect, TV functionality, uh, DRM, these issues sadly overshadowed a very strong first couple of years for the Xbox One. That was a time when the library could speak for itself, but nobody wanted to listen because they wanted to argue about the Kinect or they wanted to argue about DRM. So the message was muffled. And now that the general audience has finally gotten over the ghost of E3 2013, there's not as many exclusives here. And that sucks because now people think that they don't have exclusives on their console when they absolutely do. So yeah, where do we go from here? Well, the Xbox One X will still arrive later this fall alongside Forza 7, which will absolutely showcase the power of the Xbox One X. And the only other real exclusive they have going on is Cuphead, which is a really great looking 2D game that doesn't need that additional power boost. And then from there we have Sea of Thieves and Crackdown 3, two games I'm really looking forward to that sadly have skipped this holiday season. Seriously, if you've not watched any trailers for Sea of Thieves, it looks so good. But I wouldn't count out Microsoft just yet. This isn't just me trying to be a Debbie Downer. Uh, perhaps for this generation, yes. Maybe the Xbox is just kind of going to be coasting until next generation. But Microsoft has always been really good about learning from their mistakes. And I'm sure those games, whenever they come out, like Crackdown 3 and, and Sea of Thieves, they're going to be great. I'm sure they are. But now they have a PR problem with exclusives. And hopefully, hopefully, hopefully what I... I'm serious about this. I really hope there are more exclusives on the way. But I also hope that Microsoft is just keeping quiet because the other problem they've had is announcing games too early and having them either come out and not be very good or just canceled like project spark like Scalebound, like the phantom dust reboot like a bunch of different games instead of giving those stage time work on sure bets don't worry about tv functionality don't worry about connect they left all that behind the console is still great but the issue is that they keep giving stage time for things that just are not guaranteed to be there when they really need something to be there. Anyway, let me know what you think, and don't just shit on Xbox in the comments. Xbox is a great console. I'm just trying to explain. All I'm trying to say here is that there are a lot of exclusives. They bet it on the first couple of years, and then they got the rug pulled from underneath them, and now, you know, exclusives don't matter quite as much. And of course, there were more exclusives on the Xbox 360, but really, the first two years were when they flooded the market. Anyway, let me know what you think. Toot toot. Speaking of open world games, we need to talk about the brand new THQ Nordic game, Biomutant. And I'm sure you've all heard of Biomutant by now. Uh, what? You? You haven't heard of Biomutant? Are you sure you follow video games? <laughs> I don't believe you. Nah, I'm just kidding. I don't blame you for not knowing about Biomutant because it hasn't actually been announced just yet. But someone on the popular website Reddit posted a photo of a German video game magazine. Yes, really. Who knew that the video game magazine industry was still going on in Germany? Uh, and in this image, we can see an advertisement for a game called Biomutant, which appears to star a um, like a mascot like character, like an animal mascot that looks like a raccoon and a cat merged together and he's got like a Final Fantasy 7 sword. He looks like Cloud Strife. 
He's hanging out in the jungle. That's all I really got. We don't really know much else about Biomutant. Uh, the ad describes the game as an open-world action RPG, and we can see in some smaller pictures that he's going to be hang gliding and water skiing. Uh. Oh, and it'll be on the PC, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One sometime in 2018. That's all we really know. Now, this game looks incredibly strange. It almost reminds me of, like I said, those, those mascot platformers from 15 years ago. You know, like... Um, Jack and Daxter, Sly Cooper, stuff like that. And then the more obscure ones like Whiplash and... was that? Talk and the Power of Juju? I don't know, Nickelodeon put it out. Uh, but it's not all that surprising that THQ Nordic has a big AAA game that they haven't announced just yet. In fact, if you remember last August, a year ago, when Nordic Games announced that they were going to be calling themselves THQ Nordic, they also announced that they had 23 games in development, 13 of which hadn't been announced yet. And when that news broke last year, I'm sure if you listened to the pressure cast back then, uh, that news made me fairly nervous because THQ had tried the exact same thing. You know, working on a ton of games in a short amount of time, even though they were a smaller publisher. It was debatable whether they could handle all those games at once. And then, of course, it turned out they couldn't, and they went bankrupt. Well, that and the U-Draw. That's an entirely different story. But who knows? Maybe this Biomutant game could be the best game ever and be the best-selling game ever, and then... We'll be living in Biomutant's world. Maybe. Probably not. Who knows? <laughs> toot toot. Uh, remember a couple of minutes ago when we were talking about the Xbox One exclusives? Well, it looks like they just lost another one. We Happy Few, the first-person survival game that has been in early access since July on Steam and the Xbox One. Um, Compulsion Games, they are the developers of this. They have announced that the game will finally launch. Uh, later next year on April 13th, and it will be published by Gearbox, which is kind of weird. I don't really remember Gearbox becoming a real deal publisher. I guess they've been trying to do that over the past year. Uh, but the real surprise here is that it will not only come to the Xbox One and PC as it already is available, but the PlayStation 4 as well, especially considering that We Happy Few was a major part of Xbox's 2016 E3 conference. Now, in case you don't remember this game, it was that weird trailer that took place in the 1960s with a British vibe, and it had police bobbies that looked like the Joker. It was awesome. It was a really good trailer, probably the most memorable trailer of 2016. Uh, but I was told the early access gameplay was kind of boring. You just kind of snuck around and collected things and avoided police. It sounds interesting, but... I guess it wasn't all there. But the good news is that the full release will have a full campaign and multiplayer. Oh, no. I don't know. Yeah, I think it'll have multiplayer. Ooh, double check that for me. <laughs> but uh, it'll also have uh, multiple playable characters. Plus, it still has that really unique premise where you're avoiding taking mind control pills. And the art style is just awesome. I, I think it's great that it's coming to the PlayStation 4. I think it's unfortunate that this is not another Xbox exclusive. I'm not trying to dog on Xbox. I'm just saying... What the news is, I'm sorry, <laughs> toot toot. Uh, let's take a look at the next story that's near and dear to my heart. Sega has announced that Yakuza 6, the song of life, will arrive in the West on March 20th, 2018. Of course, this was released in Japan last December and you know, it takes forever for them to bring over the Yakuza games. This is the latest entry in the long-running Yakuza franchise, which originally debuted on the PlayStation 2 back in 2005. And I remember playing the very first game in 2006 when it came to the West, because I was working at a Blockbuster and nobody else was renting it. And I'm like, this game looks awesome. And it was. Now, if you've never played a Yakuza game before, don't worry, you have plenty of chances to play Yakuza this year alone. Back in January, Sega released the prequel Yakuza 0 on the PlayStation 4. 
You don't need to know anything else about the franchise. Just go play Yakuza 0. It's a prequel. It's awesome. And if that piques your interest, you can go watch my review at youtube.com slash video games are dumb. It's a really good review. It's one of my favorites that I ever worked on. Please go look at it. <laughs> or if you're looking for something new to play, the uh, remake of Yakuza 1 is dropping next week. It's uh, Yakuza Kiwami. It's a really weird name. I, I, I kind of wish they would have changed the name because I don't think most people know about Yakuza to begin with. They could have called it Yakuza 1. You know, like Battlefield 1. But it looks awesome as well. And it's only 30 bucks, So it's a good deal. Uh, and this is a pretty big deal for this franchise to have Yakuza 6 being released because Yakuza for a while was was a, was a franchise that almost left the Western market altogether. It took over three years for Yakuza 5 to finally come to America and that was because a lot of fans just kept begging and pleading with Sega to just port it over. We don't need English voices. We don't care. Just make the game subtitled. And, and they finally did. And a lot of people just assumed it would never happen because the series is just too Japanese. But that's actually what makes Yakuza so great. It's super Japanese. It's like a JRPG where you're walking down the street, except the uh, the random battles are 3D beat-em-up stages, and you're smashing people over the head with like bicycles and, and street signs, and then 20 minutes later, you're in a karaoke bar, and you're singing a song, or then you're on a cooking show, or on a date. But like the date is a fake date because you're trying to make somebody, the father, feel that his daughter is old enough to... Whatever. The game is bonkers. Oh, and I didn't even mention... <laughs> there's still a super serious crime drama in between all that. That's just something you don't see in the Western market, which makes Yakuza so, so good. So if you're looking for a really entertaining game that will cover 30 to 70 hours, go play some Yakuza. They're great games. Toot toot. Uh, can I just say once again, before we go into the next story, that I do love Xbox. <laughs> I seriously do. It's a good console with a good library. Honestly, Gears of War 4 last year. Great game. I really enjoyed it. But our next story once again involves an Xbox One exclusive that I did not really care for last year. Microsoft has announced that ReCore, Definitive Edition, enhanced version of last year's game, will release later this month on August 29th. That's a pretty quick turnaround. Um, this will include a brand new mission known as Eye of Obsidian and feature a new robot ally, T8NK. Definitive Edition will also take advantage of the Xbox One X. It will feature uh, HDR support. And that's basically what we know about it right now. But yes, we'll find out more when it releases next week. Once again, I really like the Xbox. I do. Forza, amazing franchise. I love the way the controller vibrates. I do. I really like the Xbox. I really, really do. Can't wait for the next Halo. I hated ReCore. I hated ReCore so much. It's not a misunderstood game. It is a flawed... Mm, I almost said flawed execution, but no, it's not flawed execution. It is a bad game. Like, no disrespect for the people that made it, because, hey, everyone's taking a risk when they make art, and video games are art. And obviously, Ken Jane and Fune was involved. He's one of the guys behind Mega Man. All props to him. Much respect to Ken Jane and Fune. But ReCore was one of the most insulting games I have ever played. Just straight up one of the most insulting games. How can a game be insulting? Well, let me tell you about this. The final third of the game is running around previously explored environments, finding collectibles to unlock more stages in a tower. And then you advance in the tower, and that's where the game ends. And by the way, the tower is just basically like a challenge room, like a practice room, like a bonus thing. But nope, they've, they've merged it into the real game. Not to mention, while you're exploring around, you need to use a specific robot to uh, reach certain areas in the environment, right? Uh, uh, but the thing is, you can only carry one robot at a time. And if you don't have the right robot, because there's no indication of which robot you're going to need, 
you have to go all the way back. Oh, and the load times were like 45 seconds. So it would take you like three minutes to get there, find out that, nope, you fucked up and you have to go back for another three minutes and then grab the robot and go back for another three minutes and then collect one thing and then go over to the next thing and then find out, oops, you fucked up because that robot is not the one that you need to go to the next thing. It was horrible. It was a horrible fucking game. And I could go on. But what really, truly made it insulting, like bafflingly insulting, was evidence that the game wasn't even finished because even two weeks after the game was released, there were people that were data mining uh, the code and they found out that there was supposed to be another robot, which made sense because the open world, there were just these areas you couldn't reach. And now we all know that that is the case because they've included that robot in this version. So I would hope that Microsoft is going to include these updates in the regular game for the people that actually sat through ReCore. Now, Microsoft doesn't have to do that. They don't have to make anything free. They don't have to be generous. They can do whatever they want. And it's not like they're exactly shaking down people because Definitive Edition is only $20. But that game left such a sour taste in so many people's mouths that I would recommend it. ReCore is awful. Just awful. It would have been bad no matter what console they released it on. Let's just be real here. <laughs> toot toot. All right. Here's a bit of a surprise. Developer In Exile has released a Bard's Tale on the PlayStation 4 and Vita. As in, this is not an announcement, the game is out. It is out right now. You can go go download a Bard's Tale on the PlayStation 4 and Vita. Now they're calling this remastered and resnart because the game has a comedic slant. And to be clear, this is the 2004 3D game, not the original Bard's Tale from 1985. Although I think you can unlock the original trilogy inside the game itself. Anyway, uh, so there's not much information out there beyond this announcement and message boards, and that's about it. There's no reviews of Bard Sale on Vita or PlayStation 4, but I was reading up on some message boards, and uh, they've said that the game has some odd stuttering when it comes to the frame rate, and the textures, I guess, look pretty bad. Who knows? They could fix that. Uh, but for the time being, you might want to wait for a review. Just, just hold off on that. I actually did play this game back when it came out in 2004. It was okay. It was, it was comedic. It was a fairly average hack and slash, but it had good writing. It, you know, didn't blow my hair back, but it was all right. Toot toot. Hey, remember Final Fantasy, the fighting game? Probably not, because it's it was called Distaya NT. What a, what a catchy name. <laughs> but it was a really cool franchise that was on the PSP. You could play as all these different heroes from villains from Final Fantasy, and they would fight each other in three versus three teams. It was badass. Well, back in 2015, Team Ninja... Yes, the Dead or Alive and Ninja Gaiden people, they teamed up with Square Enix and released the latest version, NT, in arcades. Because arcades are still a viable market in Japan. Go figure. Well, good news if you don't live in Japan, it's coming to the PlayStation 4 on January 30th next year. Now, like I said, in case you've never played one of these games, it's all the Final Fantasy characters just mashed up in 3 versus 3 uh, free-roaming fighting scenarios. And for lack of a better reference, I guess you could say it, it plays a little bit like... Mm, those Dragon Ball Z games, like just the way that the camera works and that you're in these enclosed areas. Oh, or those Naruto games. It actually does feel a little bit more like the Naruto games, uh, but it's a lot more strategic. There's a lot more setups and then you use magic attacks that, that create uh, stasis effects that allow you to take advantage with the next character. It's fun, at least the ones that were on the PSP. I will say that the screenshots for this game look amazing, but once you see it in action, I watched a, uh, their most recent trailer, the frame rate and the textures aren't quite where you would hope it would be. Um, which, and when I mean the frame rate and the textures, it's kind of like, well, the frame rate is low and the textures are low, which is kind of disappointing. If the frame rate was high and the textures were low, it would make sense. And if the textures were low and the frame rate was high, 
you know what I'm saying? One of them should be high and one of them can stay the exact same and it would be all good and it would make sense because they're like, oh yeah, of course, they're, they're pushing up against the limitation of the PlayStation 4. But no, they're both low. I don't know. I just sound like an idiot there. All right, toot toot. <laughs> Here's the best news of the week. Heck, this is the best rumor of the month. Hold on to your hats, kids. Because there are reports that Kotaku, well, from Kotaku, <laughs> Kotaku's not doing anything in this story, but there are reports coming from Kotaku that Capcom is planning to really release an HD version of their classic game, Okami, on the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Now, more surprisingly, according to this rumor, it would include a physical release when it arrives on December 12th. All rumor. None of this is confirmed. Grain of salt on there for you. Now, if you've ever played Okami, you've no doubt hoped that this would come to the PlayStation 4, PC, and Xbox One eventually. Because it is such a good game. And if you've never played Okami, oh my god, you are missing out. Okami is this gorgeous game from 2006. It was released on the Wii and the PlayStation 2. And, and the whole presentation is based around ancient Japanese heart heart art so it looks like a water painting it's just it's gorgeous in fact you even summon a brush down from the heavens to help you solve things uh basically okami is like a a zelda style game and it's really really long it's awesome too i just hope that they improve the frame rate when they do release it on the playstation 4 and, and xbox one and hopefully it'll come to the pc too why not this released uh dragon's dogma on the pc last year why not release this uh one side note that's kind of fun about okami when it launched on the playstation 2 uh, they had to send out new slips for the cases because the art was wrong. I mean, the art was right. <laughs> it, it was it was the Okami art. The problem is that for some reason Capcom didn't have the art that they needed, so they took the cover art from IGN. I'm not making this up. They took the cover art from IGN because IGN had the cover art that was given to them from Capcom, and they posted it on their website. Capcom somehow lost the cover art. <laughs> So they took it from IGN without asking. They did not ask IGN. And then when they printed all these first run covers, you can actually see the watermark in the bottom right corner for IGN. If you look closely and they're like, whoops. So they had to mail out all these new slips. It's, I'm sure that makes it a collector's item. It's ridiculous. <laughs> toot toot. Uh, so we all know video games are dumb, but you know what else is dumb? Professional wrestling. Oh, I'm sorry, sports entertainment. So of course, two dumb things together make something really, really, really dumb. But yes, what I'm trying to say is that they are making more pro wrestling video games. And personally speaking, I enjoy pro wrestling. But I've been fairly iffy on the WWE series of games ever since, you know, 2K took over. Everyone thought that they were going to change everything, but instead they're just re-releasing the exact same stuff that THQ was doing. But this year, they're making huge strides because they've enhanced the visuals. In fact, if you go and, and look at these trailers for these for this wrestling game, even if you're not a fan of wrestling, you'll be impressed by these, these, these trailers. Just the way that cloth fabric is moving, the way that the lighting is moving, the way that the eyes look. It's really impressive. It's really, really impressive. Uh, but of course, 2K, what's the roster gonna be? We're gonna talk about wrestling, just for a second. Just for a second here. <laughs> we got a glimpse of the playable roster, which so far totals 47 characters with more apparently on the way. But I'm just gonna mention a few, mostly the classic legendary characters because they're the most famous and you'll probably remember them better than the modern people. So we've got the British Bulldog, Big Boss Man, DDP, Diamond Dallas Page, Bret Hart, Bam Bam Bigelow, Dusty Rhodes, Bebe, Kevin Nash, aka Diesel, and in the deluxe version, you can get Rob Van Dam, Mr. Monday Nights. That is an old reference if you're an ECW fan. Uh, 
Uh, but if you're, well, maybe they might have mentioned it on Raw. But if you're into the new WWE product, they've got Bray Wyatt, Luke Harper, Eric Rowan, The Club, Eric Young from NXT, along with um, Sanity, which is his current group. They just won the tag belts on NXT. I told you I like wrestling. And they even have Akira Tozawa from 205 Live, who's also on the Raw brand. So there's a strong chance that you, dear listener and viewer, do not watch wrestling. But I bet you're kind of curious about it. Maybe you don't want to watch it, but you're just like, what the fuck is up with wrestling, right? Well, let me explain to you why it's difficult to make pro wrestling video games. It's basically a fighting game based off of real people, and all the stages take place in a ring. But there's different kind of matches. There's tag team matches, ladder matches, cage matches. Sure, that's the easy stuff. But also keep in mind that every single character has their own entrance music. They have their own hand gestures. They have their own taunts. They have their own uh, move set. Not to mention they have their own commentary. Because unlike other fighting games, there's actual live commentary in these games that have to respond to the action and also make references to who these characters are and what they've done in the past. It's kind of a daunting task already. But here's where it gets even crazier. So WWE, they're probably the wrestling company you've heard of. They're a publicly traded billion dollar company. And in the West, not Japan, because Japan has their own stuff going on. But over here in the West, they are the wrestling company. Like, they are the only one really around. There's others, but they're way smaller. And uh, because no one can really compete with them, stay with me here. Because no one can compete with WWE... They've started to compete with themselves. They've actually split up all of their TV shows into different brands, and only specific wrestlers wrestle on certain brands. So there's four different divisions, which are completely different TV shows with completely different storylines, with completely different commentators, with completely different everything. Music, everything. They look different. And considering that these games are marketing tools, they're trying to represent everyone as much as they can, and it's even debatable, like how many of these things are going to be accurate in a few months because people get fired for doing drugs and and shows just get canceled like right now there's one called 205 live who knows how long that's going to stick around oh and the characters and the storylines can just change overnight and then the game looks dated good luck with that 2k (laughs) have fun this has been the wrestling minute Toot toot. Now, before we get to this week's releases, let's take a peek at the brand new Xbox backwards compatible titles for the week. First off, we have Battlefield Bad Company, which is a little odd considering Bad Company 2 is already available. So I don't know why you want to play Bad Company 1, but hey, the more the merrier. Next, we have 2015 Scream Ride, which is odd considering that Scream Ride is available on the Xbox One. Why you would need the Xbox 360 version on your Xbox One, I don't know, but hey, Once again, more the merrier. That's awesome. And finally, we have the absolute best game on the list. We are talking about Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, which is a hack and slash made by Platinum Games. But the big difference between this and other Platinum Games like Bayonetta 2 and Nier Automata is how violent this is. There's pretty much nonstop blood. Oh, and Kojima wrote the story, so you know it's bonkers. Uh, But altogether, kind of a lopsided week. But seriously, Revengeance, it's the real deal. And I I, want to say that I think Microsoft is is doling out these uh, backwards compatible titles intentionally like this. Like, they're looking at the library and they're like, we want to add as many games as possible. So we're going to announce Scream Ride and we're going to announce Bad Company, which are kind of lackluster. And how are we going to announce this? Oh, I know. Well, people really want Revengeance. Let's announce that at the same time. Like, I think they're bundling these packages together. So there's always one big game, which is really smart PR. I'm complimenting Xbox. I just want to add that. I like all the consoles, kids. I'm just saying. 
Toot toot. Let's talk about the games that are going to be coming out this week. On Tuesday, Madden NFL 18 is going to be on the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Interception. <laughs> they're, they're fine games, I guess. Uh, Uncharted The Lost Legacy is going to be on the PlayStation 4. I'm really looking forward to that. Duck Game is going to be on the PlayStation 4. Chroma Gun is going to be on the PlayStation 4. White Day, a labyrinth named School. It's going to be on the PC and PlayStation 4. Never heard of that game before. Mages of Mysteria is going to be on the PlayStation 4. Thimbleweed Park is going to be on the PlayStation 4. It is already available on the Xbox One. Apparently, it's an awesome adventure game made by Ron Gilbert, the guy behind uh, Maniac Mansion. Uh, Bleed is going to be on the PlayStation 4. Jack and Dexter, the Precursor's Legacy is going to be on the PlayStation 4. Soul Dimensions can be on the PlayStation 4. The Escapist 2 is going to be on the PlayStation 4, which I believe is already available on the Xbox One, so if you're looking for that. Uh, the Book of Regrets is going to be on the PlayStation 4. On Thursday, Cook, Serve, Delicious 2 is going to be on the PC, which is kind of a big deal. Bleed is going to be out on the Xbox One. It comes on the PlayStation 4 two days before, and then it comes on the Xbox One on Thursday. Uh, Forma 8 is going to be out on the Nintendo Switch. Sure, I don't know what that is. And then on Friday, F1 2017 is going to be on the PC, Xbox One, and PlayStation 4, which I know there are a lot of people excited for that game. I'm not being sarcastic. F1 is really popular. We also have Naruto Ultima Ninja Storm 2 on the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC, and One Piece Ultimate World Red Deluxe Edition on the PlayStation 4 and PC. If you are a fan of One Piece, I do want to give you a heads up. That is not a good game. Uh, it was an exclusive on the Wii U back in 2014 and I played that game it is not good it is not a good game even if you're a fan of One Piece you can probably do better but that's gonna have to do it nope wait almost screwed up beep beep that's gonna do it for the hype train thank you hype train thank you so much but it is getting muggy in here we need to step outside I know a place it's always warm with the glow of cold hard cash. That's right, it's time for the Chart Park. The land where money grows on trees. Yes, the Chart Park. This is the part of the show where we talk about the legal, business, and financial news in the video game industry. And we find out which fan cats of Wall Street will tip their top hats to Lady Luck. They tip their top hats to Lady Luck. Uh, you know, there was a time when December was the slow period for video games. Everyone was announcing their games before or after not during december never during december and everything was already out they didn't release games in december that was that was over the black friday had happened you can't release a game after december you have to wait until the industry resumes sometime in february but that is the past it is certainly not today and that's because of the increasing number of video game events such as pax gamescom and the subject of our next story, the PlayStation Experience. Sony has announced that this year's PlayStation Experience Expo will take place on December 8th, 9th, and 10th. And for the first time, they'll be returning to the exact same venue when it takes place in the Anaheim Convention Center in Anaheim, California. Now, no details were released beyond the dates themselves, but we do know that the Capcom Cup will once again take place on December 10th uh, for Street Fighter V and its grand finale, which is really awesome. You should watch it. If you like Evo, you already know. Uh, tickets are currently on sale for 65 bucks, which entitles you to all three days, but prices will shortly go up to $75, and that will not include the December 8th private event. You know, it's hard to believe, but this will be the fourth year of the PlayStation experience. And honestly, I'm not even sure Sony knew this would be going on for this long. Most people forget that the first PlayStation experience was meant to celebrate 20 years of PlayStation. It was the 20th anniversary. So was this always the plan? 
That's debatable. But over the years, they've really wrapped up the importance of, of the PlayStation Experience Showcase. Last year alone, we saw the announcement of Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, uh, The Last of Us 2, and of course the biggest announcement, Knack 2. How are you gonna... Knack 2 is the biggest deal. Uh, you know? Anyway, all kidding aside, I would say that the PlayStation Experience last year was actually better than Sony's E3 press conference. I'm not kidding. I thought there were bigger announcements and it was just more interesting. But there's one question that just keeps rattling around in my head. I just keep wondering, why are they doing this? Like, why are they spending all this money on this event? Are they making money back? Or is this just a goodwill gesture? How are the developers and, and publishers being received at these events? Is, is, is there actually a bump in their income? Or is this just a favor to Sony to continue their working relationship? And even then, why are they continuing to do a public event for PlayStation when E3 went public last year? Is it because there was a package deal with Anaheim where they had booked the next two years before um, you know, the ESA announced that they were going to be going open with E3? I, I don't really know. If there is a serious advantage to holding your own event like the PlayStation Experience, why isn't Nintendo doing it like they did back in the day? You know, Space World, man, like hold your own event because they could pull that off. Nintendo could announce that they're holding a, a their own event next week and it costs $2,000 and I bet you it would be packed because Nintendo fans are hardcore. And why isn't Microsoft doing this? I know some people might laugh and be like, oh, Microsoft isn't selling all that well, but they, they're hardcore Microsoft fans. I'm talking, they got all the revisions of the consoles and they have like Xbox tattoos. I'm just saying, why aren't other brands doing this? And how long is Sony gonna keep doing this? It just seems odd. Anyway, moving on, here's a story that I've been following since 2001. Yes, really. YSNet has announced a publisher for their long-awaited sequel, Shenmue 3. And it's none other than Deep Silver. Uh, the game was first revealed as a Kickstarter campaign during the 2015 E3 PlayStation press conference, which went on to collect over $6.3 million. To date, it is the highest total for any video game Kickstarter ever. Now, worth noting, that's only Kickstarter, just Kickstarter and just video games because of course Star Citizen, which is also crowdfunded, doesn't use Kickstarter and it's made over $150 million so far, which is bonkers. Shenmue 3 is currently set to release in the second half of 2018, nearly nearly 16 years after its last installment. Uh, yeah, I feel a little old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in case you don't know, I really love Shenmue. I mean, I really, really love Shenmue. Could be my favorite franchise of all time. I don't really know. But I'm going into this sequel with tempered expectations. I mean, it's a crowdfunded game, which is already a questionable sign. No offense to crowdfunded games, but there's a track record. Not to mention Deep Silver. They also have a track record of not so good games like Homefront, The Revolution, Mighty Number no. 9, and Ride to Hell Retribution. Now, obviously, I shouldn't write this game off because it's crowdfunded and because of a publisher. After all, uh, Deep Silver also published the Shin Megami Tensei series, or at least they do now, and those are great games. But I can't help but be a little paranoid. Still, think about this. This is the weirdest part about the whole story. Now that they have a publisher, Shenmue 3 is going to be on store shelves at some point in the future. It's just going to be on a shelf. People can pick it up and look at it. And they might not even know what it is. It's crazy, man. It's just crazy. Anyway, our next story might be a first for the chart park because it's a game announcement, but there's a few caveats. 
So last week we were talking about Fig, which is basically like Kickstarter, except the backers actually see a return in their investment. And before you get too excited and think that you're going to start spending money to make money based off of video games, understand that Fig do a fairly extensive background search before you can even invest. Like they need your financial statements before they allow you into the group. But anyway, Swery, the man behind the cult classics D4 and Deadly Premonition, has revealed his next project, which is called The Good Life. Now stop me if you've already heard this one before. You play as a New York photographer that takes a vacation in the UK and she can turn into a cat. I know, fairly cliche, we get a lot of these New York photographer and vacation in the UK turned into a cat games, but it's sweary, so keep your mind open. In fact, sweary has said it is going to feature a new style of gameplay, though he didn't state what that is. But here's what he did say, quote, I'm positive the happiest town in the world and the most bizarre townspeople in the world will capture your heart and pull you deep into their world, end quote. World, 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 world. Uh, if you're loaded with cash and you like cats and photographers, you can start funding The Good Life when it goes live on September 3rd. This is a crowdfunding campaign. You can't just go buy the game. But it is kind of funny to see these auteur-style creators like Tim Schafer and Swery going to Fig. Uh, in case you don't know Tim Schafer, that's where he got the funding for Psychonauts 2. It just seems a little bit more like the movie industry. You know how like specific auteur directors are running around Cannes and Sundance trying to secure financing for their next film? Of course, that's always been a part of video games where you have partnerships and you secure financing no different but it's never been so open and apparent like it is in the movie industry but now fig is here and it's giving us a little bit more of an education on that but uh it is great to see that sweary is back he has had some health problems in the past he actually left access games which is i think the only developer he ever worked for he also went and became a buddhist monk <laughs> i'm not making that up and now he's back where he belongs well, in video games. And if you've never played a sweary game before, the closest analog I could give you is like Suda51. They feel like stream of conscious games while you're playing it. And then once you're done, you step back and you look at the themes and you realize that it's all connected. And that's one of the reasons he has such a, a potent cult following. Uh, but being admired, being admired by, by fans of video games doesn't always translate into success when it comes to Fig. Uh, a lot of these backers, well, all of these backers for the most part, they're looking to make a financial choice. Even uh, something like Rock Band 4, they tried to put a PC port on Fig and it failed because the investors have to believe there's money to be made. So hopefully uh, Swery's charming cat game can come together. I really hope so because the art looks pretty good. Anyway, toot toot. Uh, remember THQ from earlier in the show? Well, one of the big things they did before they closed forever was participating in the humble bundle this is a pay what you want service where the more you spend the more games you get and the best part is in the humble bundle part of the money goes to charity well we have our latest AAA addition to the service 2k games with the humble 2k playstation bundle which is a bundle of 2k games for playstation now that might be obvious but listen closely as we go through the tiers of this humble bundle if you spend more than a dollar, or if you spend a dollar or more, you'll get the following titles. Uh, XCOM Enemy Unknown Plus on the Vita. Civilization Revolution 2 Plus on the Vita. The Bureau XCOM Declassified for the PlayStation 3. And Evolve for the PlayStation 4. Now, if you beat the average, the average of what everyone is spending, which is currently $6.23, you'll get the following. 
XCOM Enemy Within for the PlayStation 3, Bioshock for the PlayStation 3, Battleborn Trial for the PlayStation 4, but you can spend $10 to unlock all the characters, Borderlands for the PlayStation 3, Borderlands 2 for the PlayStation 3, Mafia 2 for the PlayStation 3, and Spec Ops The Line for the PlayStation 3. And if you finally spend $20, you'll get all of the above, as well as XCOM 2 for the PlayStation 4. Now, did you notice anything about that? That's right, seven of the 12 games here are for the PlayStation 3. Maybe it's even eight games. Did I count that right? I don't know. But the PlayStation 3, a system that has essentially been over since 2013, four years ago. Yeah, I, I know they still release PlayStation 3 games every now and again, but the system is dumb. D uh, done, not dumb. <laughs> Now, two of those games that they are listed right there are Vita titles, which I think is kind of cool. You know, the, the, the Vita is now essentially a dead system, but only recently, like really recently. And besides that, there's a hardcore following, so it works for me. So you have three PlayStation 4 games, Evolve, which is also dead. No one's playing Evolve, even though I thought it was a pretty good game. You have a Trial of Bloodborne, which essentially is a free-to-play game right now. And for 20 bucks, you get XCOM 2. Now, this does help uh, Covenant House, which seems like a great cause. They help young homeless people. I haven't done enough research on that, that particular charity, but I think that's something we can all get behind, right? And I'm not going to say that this is even a bad value. It clearly isn't. That's a hell of a lot of games for $20. But who is using a PlayStation 3 right now? And, and if you are, if you're using a PlayStation 3, have you really been holding up for Borderlands 2 to drop in price? I just don't see it. I don't know. But yes, it goes to charity. Help if you want. It's a, it's a good cause. Anyway, moving on. When I say give me a break, what do you think of? <laughs> what? You, you think of the 1980s NBC sitcom? That's not what I'm talking about. Let's try that again. All right. When I say give me a break, <laughs> what do you think of? A, a British game show from 2009? No, no, no. Okay, try again. When I say give me a break, what do you think of? An old widow who had her heart broken after her husband died? No. No. I'm talking about Kit Kat bars. Jesus Christ. Well, Atari is not taking Kit Kat's advice because the video game publisher is suing Nestle for an unauthorized use of their property. They're not giving them a break, is what I'm trying to say. Apparently, a commercial titled Kit Kat Breakout featured a family enjoying a bit of candy, the Kit Kat candy, while playing the classic game Breakout. Even the blocks themselves are replaced by little Kit Kat bars. It looks kind of adorable, because I've seen a picture of it, and that's it. I wish I could describe more of this commercial, but all evidence of it has been scrubbed from the internet. Seriously, go try and find this. It doesn't exist. Well, in the lawsuit, Atari claims, quote, Nestle simply took the classic breakout screen, replaced it with bricks, with Kit Kat bars, and uh, invited customers to break out and buy more candy bars. The infringing conduct in this case is so plain and blatant that Nestle cannot claim to be innocent, uh, to be an innocent infringer. Nestle knew exactly what it was doing, end quote. And yes, I think Atari is right here. It is pretty cut and dry, and Nestle will probably lose this case. They've said the whole, we deny any wrongdoing speech, but, you know, come on. You removed the video off the internet. You scrubbed it off the internet. You you kind of knew that this, was, this wasn't right. Uh, but here's a fun fact for you. The game Breakout, which of course involves a ball bouncing from the top of the screen to the bottom of the screen. You have to keep bouncing the ball back up. It's like a single player pong. Well, it was a game that was designed by Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, who later went on to found Apple Computers. How cool is that? 
kind of cool. Anyway, let's move on to our next story. Now, if you cynically believe that giant corporations will never be taken to task because a corrupt legal system crushes all under the weight of the monetary value, an imaginary concept created for the exchange of goods and services, but has always been used by the powerful to control the masses, and even in this our great stage of scientific achievement, allowing for the free flow of information, we deliberately ignore those less fortunate than us to focus on cheap entertainment while 2.9% of the Earth's population is starving to death? Don't be so negative! Because sometimes the rich and powerful sue each other, as is the case with Edgar Davis, who has sued Riot Games for using his likeness in League of Legends. Now, Edgar Davis is a, a, a soccer player, a football player, and uh, the character Striker Lucien bore a striking resemblance to Davis. Had the same glasses, had the same haircut, uh, he has a, a darker skin complexion, they also mimic that. He even went to them and said, hey, Right Games, please do not do that. Stop doing that. And Right Games apparently disagreed. <laughs> but here's the great part. Unfortunately for them, Davis' lawyer actually had an ace in their pocket. They had a tweet from Riot Games where they named Davis as the sole influence for Striker Lucian. Oops. You just admitted that, yes, you used his likeness. Now, a specific cast value was not given for the, uh, for the settlement, or the loss? No, they lost the case. They did not settle. Uh, but that's going to be the next step. And they're trying to estimate exactly how much money they made off of the striker skin. So the idea that they had that tweet out there is amazing. Where they're like, we didn't take this idea from, from, from that guy. Yes, you did. Here's a tweet where you admit to it. <laughs> oh, I love seeing Twitter being used in legal cases. It cracks me up. Uh, so yes, it was an open and shut case. Brilliant and stupid. All, all at the same time. But there's a much bigger story here if we do get a follow-up. Like, if we do get a follow-up, we will learn something we've we've never actually heard before. See, League of Legends has been the biggest game in the world for a few years now. In fact, I believe two years ago, it pulled in 1.5 million... No, $1.5 billion in just a year. But we've never seen exactly how things break down, including how much money is made off a single skin. And if that information does get released, even for just this one skin, that would give us a better insight into the overall value of League of Legends. So stay tuned. Hopefully we get that information. Anyway, moving on. Uh, let's talk more about Riot Games and their parent company, the Chinese conglomerate Tencent. Now, Tencent, they have a lot of money in a bunch of different companies, but over the past few years, they've really focused on Western developers. They actually just invested in Frontier Games, and we're going to talk about Frontier Games in just a minute. But as a whole, the most recent fiscal quarter for Tencent, hold on to your hat, man. They pulled in $8.56 billion in revenue. That is for the quarter, three months, three months. 8.56 billion dollars that is 59 percent increase year on year let's do that one more time in a three-month period revenue 8.56 billion dollars that is bonkers uh but that's just revenue that's not how much they actually make what is the profit well it's equally impressive just for the quarter they made 2.69 billion dollars in profit 10 cent a company you probably never talk about 2.69 billion dollars and that's the whole story right there but it's worth noting that there were rumors uh last week that tencent was looking to purchase blue hole which of course are the developers behind player unknown battlegrounds one of the most popular games on steam but uh tencent this week actually stepped out and said nope we are not looking to invest in blue hole so interesting because uh, it does seem like that would be something they would 
be going after. Uh, but seeing as how their revenue has skyrocketed every single year as they invest into more developers, it seems likely that they're going to just keep investing into more developers. It's working for them. So that was the whole story right there, but pretty fascinating, huh? Anyway, let's move on. Uh, we were just talking about Tencent. Let's talk about one of those companies that they recently invested into, Frontier Developments. Uh, Frontier Developments has recently updated its sales data. The popular game Elite Dangerous, which was released in late 2014, has reached 2.75 million copies, and it currently retails for $30 on Steam. While their theme park simulator, Planet Coaster, which launched last November, has already reached reached 1 million copies altogether sold and it currently retails for $45 so they're making a chunk of change right there uh, last month Tencent spent $22.7 million to purchase 9% of Frontier development so this is a recent not acquisition but a recent investment now Frontier has announced that they're working on a new game but we don't really know any details about it but I assume this is just me assuming this is not proven I assume that third title is going to be a pretty big deal. I think that might be what enticed uh, Tencent to invest. Uh, not to say that Elite Dangerous and Planet Coaster aren't big games. They are. They are big games, selling 2.75 million copies. That's a huge deal, but they aren't League of Legends big. Or I guess they aren't Tencent big. So keep your eyes peeled to find out exactly what that new game is. Now let's move on to the biggest news story of the decade. Uh, I'm sure you guys have heard all about this, but um, this is a news show, so we got to cover this. It's a big deal. Blizzard Entertainment has announced the Blizzard launcher will return to its original name, Battle.net. Oh, God. Oh, they're going to... I told myself I wasn't going to cry. Hang on. That's right. The Blizzard launcher is called Battle.net again. Oh, jeez. Glory days. Now let's get on to the charts. Here are the best-selling games in America, or I guess North America. This is the NPDs for the month of July. These are the best-selling games for the month of July. Now, I've actually divided this up a little differently than we've done in previous episodes. Previously, we just did the top 10. This week, we're going to do the top 20. And in the top 20, I also listed how well... Uh, they're doing this month compared to last month. So number 20 on the NPD's best-selling games for July uh, was Tekken 7, which is down 19 spots. Tekken 7 was originally in first place in June. Now it's in 20th in July. That is a huge drop-off. Uh, Mass Effect Andromeda is uh, back in the top 20. It did not appear in the top 20 back in June. Number 18 was Battlefield 1, which is down from 16th place. Uh, number 17 was Arms, which is down from 5th place, which is a pretty steep drop. Uh, number 16 was MLB 17 The Show, which is down from 13th place. Number 15 was Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, which is the exact same spot it had last month. Uh, number 14 was Minecraft, which is up from 17th place last month. Number 13 was Call of Duty Black Ops 3, which is down from 12th place last month. Number 12 was Call of Duty Modern Warfare Remastered. This is their debut month. Of course, this was available back in November. If you purchased a certain version of Infinite Warfare, now it's a standalone title. 12th spot, uh, not great. Not great for a new old Call of Duty. I don't know. 
Anyway, moving on. Number 11 was Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Wildlands, which is the exact same spot it had last month. Number 10 was NBA 2K17, which is down from 9th place. Number 9 was Rainbow Six Siege, which is up from 14th place. It was in 14th place, now it's back up to 9th, which is really impressive. Uh, number 8 was Overwatch, same spot as June. Number 7 was Mario Kart 8, same spot as June. Number 6 was Injustice 2, which is down from 2nd place last month. Number 5 was The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which is up from 6th place last month. Last month. Number 4 was Final Fantasy 12: The Zodiac Age. This is its debut month, so doing pretty well. I don't think it'll stick around. I don't think it'll be in the top 20 in August. Just saying. Uh, number three was Grand Theft Auto 5, same spot as last month. Number two was Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, which is um, down from first place. No, it was it was second place last month, right? So it, it's in the exact same spot. And number one was Splatoon 2. For its debut month, so the Nintendo Switch game came out in first place uh, for a month, which is really impressive. Now, it's important to point out that the Nintendo Switch actually won the month of July. It was the best-selling piece of hardware, which is great news. Of course, it only launched a few months ago, so they still have a lot of demand. Side note, uh, I see a lot of people saying that the Switch momentum is going to continue because they have a bunch of exclusives. I recommend you re-listen to that Xbox One thing I just was talking about. I'm not saying it's going to happen, I'm saying I'm still skeptical about the long-term success of the Switch. Not trying to be a negative Nancy. I love the Switch. Go watch my Splatoon 2 review. I gave it a really positive review. Anyway, like I said earlier, not a huge surprise that Tekken wouldn't be in first place for the second month, but this was a huge drop-off. Huge! From first place to 20th, that's crazy. But you know what was the biggest drop-off? Was Horizon Zero Dawn. That was in 10th place last month, and now it's just gone. Just gone. Which is kind of surprising, because, you know, word of mouth has been really good for Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, number three uh, uh, was... No, was it Mario Kart? I can't remember. But Elder Scrolls Online, Morrowind, FIFA 17, and Forza Horizon 3 are also off of the chart. But they were the 20th, 19th, and 18th place last month, so it's not a big deal that they dropped off. However... Uh, it's worth noting that July is continuing to grow as a, as a source of revenue for the video game industry because they reached $588 million in hardware, software, and general game revenue. That's up 19% year on year. So July is actually becoming uh, where they make a lot of money. Now, I don't want to say a lot of money, $588 million, whatever. Uh, but overall, so far, the year so far has been kind of flat. Uh, they said the general sales were up less than 1%. So... Not a whole lot of growth going on in the industry right now. But let's go to the cursed land of tea and crumpets known as the UK to talk about the 10 best-selling games over there. Number 10 was Battlefield 1. Number 9 was Forza Horizon 3. Number 8 was Rainbow Six Siege. Number 7 was Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Number 6 was Splatoon 2. Number 5 was Doom. Number 4 was uh, Dishonored 2. Number 3 was Grand Theft Auto 5. Number 2 was Fallout 4. And number 1 was Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy. Still in first place. Six weeks altogether. But what about Japan? What were the 10 best-selling games over in Japan? Well, I've got that list right here, too. Number 10 was Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy. Number 9 was ARMS. Number 8 was Mega Man Legacy Collection 2 on the PlayStation 4. Number 7 was The Great Ace Attorney 2 on the 3DS. Number 6 was Hitman The Complete First Season. Yes, really, Hitman was doing well over in Japan on the PlayStation 4. Number 5 was Mario Kart 8 Deluxe on the Nintendo Switch. Number 4 was uh, Splatoon 2 on the Nintendo Switch. Number 3 was Dragon Quest XI Echoes of the Elusive Age on the PlayStation 4. Yes, it's in third place, not first place. Number 2 was The Snack World 
Trejaris? I don't know what they call this game, but the Snack World is number two on the 3DS, which is doing really well despite the fact that they uh, were supposed to have that game out in July and then they delayed to August. It's still uh, the second best-selling game. It knocked down a Dragon Quest game. That's really impressive, but of course, number one is Dragon Quest Eleven: Echoes of the Elusive Age on the 3DS. But what are the best-selling consoles over in Japan? Well, I'm glad that you asked because we're going to start off with the top-selling console by a lot. It's the Nintendo Switch with 87,798. That's up from 61,000 units last week. That's up over 26,000 units. That's crazy! Uh, the PlayStation 4 had 34,691. New 2DS LL had 24,187. New 3DS LL had 17,276. PlayStation 4 Pro had 7,771. Uh, PlayStation Vita had 4,651. 2DS had 3,527. New 3DS had 740. Wii U had 132. PlayStation 3 had 95. And in last place, for the fourth week in a row, it's the Xbox One with 75. I just sound like I'm being mean to Xbox this week. I'm not. I like Forza. But that's going to do it for the Chart Park. The land where money grows on trees. We've now come to the final segment of the show. This is the part of the show we take a look back at 10 years ago and beyond to find out if there's anything worth talking about. And there usually is. It's a little something we like to call strong history. Yeah, strong history. This is where we talk about things that happened in the past 10 years ago and beyond. And we have a pretty busy week like i swear you are gonna love one of the games i'm talking about in strong history this week unless you're like crazy young but 10 years ago on the xbox 360 and pc bioshock was released this is easily one of the most celebrated games of the past decade i mean come on how many times have you seen like big daddy references just everywhere and for good reason sure system shock 2 introduced existentialism into the first person shooter but the game was really overly complicated. Bioshock, on the other hand, platted, uh, tackled political ideology and simplified the gameplay. Like, you see an enemy that's standing in a puzzle, a puzzle, puddle. If you see an enemy standing in a puddle, you can shoot electricity and it'll enhance the electric power. See? It's logical. And it's fun. Uh, but it's funny. I was on a certain internet forum not too long ago, and uh, I was explaining how Bioshock featured the representation of crumbling ideology and physical manifestation known as the City of Rapture. It was all about the, the this person's beliefs. They built a city around the beliefs, and because the city is crumbling, it's, it's making a statement on this person's beliefs, right? This is really obvious. So, like, when you see a, a hallway that's blocked with crap, it's not just simple level design. It's, it's symbolism. The aspirations have failed. Uh, you know, and like I said, this is not like a really great insight. This is super straightforward. I'm sure everyone figured this out. This I just need an example, and I was talking about this. So anyway, this person responded to me and told me to keep my politics out of video games. <laughs> and said that the wreckage wasn't there to represent anything. It was there so you learned Leverage 3. <laughs> oh, man, see... I would like to think that shows how great Bioshock is, that, that me and this other person could see two completely different things. But but no, that person is a dumb fuck. What are you talking about? How would you not notice that there was just politics on top of politics on top of politics on Bioshock? It's like the most bold-faced AAA political game maybe ever. <laughs> Whatever. Let's move on. 12 years ago on <laughs> the GameCube and PlayStation 2, The Incredible Hulk Ultimate Destruction was launched. Now... I know Spider-Man 2 might get a lot of credit, but for my money, this is the best open-world superhero game ever. You play as the Hulk, and you destroy the city. 
you know, the green guy, the Hulk from the Avengers. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. And I mean, you destroy the city. In fact, you destroy so much of the city that they send the cops after you, just like Grand Theft Auto. So you smash the cops. And then they're like, all right, we'll send robots after you. And then Hulk would actually smash cars together to make boxing gloves and then fight the, the robots. So they would send giant robots after the Hulk. And then the Hulk would do like a thunderclap that would shatter all the glass from all the skyscrapers around him, knocking back the robots and then destroying them. And then after that, they would be out of stuff to do. Like, the police would give up after a while. That's what made it so amazing. You could jump up and attach yourself to helicopters and kick them down. You could pick up tanks and swing them around and throw them into giant robots. It was an amazing game. Amazing game. And then every couple of minutes after they gave up, it would start again. They'd send a little squad car after you. <laughs> anyway, the game worked out so well that the developers, Radical Entertainment, would actually make two sequels for it, even though they lost the Hulk license. See, do you remember those games called Prototype 1 and Prototype 2? Well, they were made on the exact same engine, and they play identically to the Hulk games, except they're way more violence. But sadly, like every Activision subsidiary, they are now working on Destiny. Nothing against Destiny, but... I want another Hulk game. Whatever. Anyway, 13 years ago, on the PlayStation 2, Beautiful Joe was launched, which of course I think was actually originally a GameCube exclusive, but... The PlayStation 2 release came up this week, so I thought we would talk about it. Uh, you know that guy, Hideki Kamiya? He's the guy on, uh, from Platinum Games who's on Twitter, and he just blocks a bunch of people. Well, back in the day, he used to direct games. That's right. He used to, used to make them. And one of those games was the awesome 2D platformer called Beautiful Joe. And it was great. Uh, you played as Joe, who was this big-time movie buff who gets sucked into the silver screen. And what's cool about this is that you can slow down time or, or speed up the film. You can punch enemies through walls in slow motions, or you can speed up and hit them so fast they burst into flames. Like I said, a really awesome platformer beat-em-up 2D game. Really striking art style as well. And I guess Capcom really liked it too, because they published four games in just under two years. Seriously, it was Beautiful Joe, Beautiful Joe 2, Red Hot Rumble, which is like a Smash Bros. clone, and then Double Trouble, which is on the DS, all in under two years. Oh, and an anime. <laughs> they also produced an anime. And then Joe was never to be seen or heard from again. They just stopped making everything. Except he's also in Capcom versus, or Marvel vs. Capcom 3. But, and maybe even Tensinoku versus Capcom. But other than that, he's gone. Which is a shame. Because I really like that character. Anyway, 15 years ago on the GameCube, Super Mario Sunshine was released. Now, this is the game that has me worried about Super Mario Odyssey. Why? Because it has a gimmick. And gimmicks usually make Mario worse. See, the water pump... <sighs> the water pump is not fun. It's just not fun. You have to run around town and clean up a mess... I don't want to. I don't want to play a video game where I'm cleaning up messes. I want to make a mess, which is why Splatoon is so great. It's the antithesis of, of of Super Mario Sunshine. And if you're thinking, no, Sunshine has really good levels, really good gameplay. Well, what are the best stages in Super Mario Sunshine? You know what they are. They're those bonus stages, those little mini stages, where they took the water pump away. Just saying, it's the gimmicks that kill Mario. Hopefully, Odyssey will be amazing though. Crossing my fingers. Also, that exact same year, The Thing was launched on the PlayStation 2. Now look, I can't just dog on Super Mario Sunshine and then tell you that The Thing was a great game. It wasn't. But the idea behind it is amazing. See, just like the movie The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, which I'm sure you've seen, hope you've seen, it's an awesome movie, you work alongside a few teammates in the Arctic and you're hunting an alien creature, but your effectiveness is based off of trust and fear. Your teammates have emotions and... 
Also, they might randomly transform into a monster and kill you and the rest of your teammates. So, you had to keep doing blood tests to figure out if anyone was an alien. But if you did that, they got a little paranoid. And maybe they didn't trust you. But if you didn't give them the blood test, they might turn into an alien and kill everybody. But yes, it was a fairly bland third-person shooter, but a great concept. A really great concept. 20 years ago on the Nintendo 64. 20 years ago. Holy shit. GoldenEye 007 on the Nintendo 64. Absolutely one of the most important video games of all time. So we're just going to do the Cliff Notes version. Rare obtained the rights to the upcoming James Bond film, GoldenEye. Their first idea was to make a light gun shooter, assuming that Nintendo would have some sort of follow-up to the Super Scope. Remember we were just talking about light gun games? They thought, of course there's going to be light gun games on the Nintendo 64. But it soon became clear that there were no light guns accessories coming to the Nintendo 64. So Rare had to come up with a new concept, and so they pivoted over to the first-person shooter genre. And then, you know, first-person shooters were... They were good. They were good on PC, but on consoles, kind of an uneven history. But Rare wanted to take a chance. They wanted to make a first-person shooter. And uh, Nintendo, looking at the game, was like, you know what? This probably isn't going to work out, Rare. So they canceled GoldenEye. Yes, really. Nintendo canceled GoldenEye. They lost faith in the project. But here's the crazy part. Rare continued to develop the game and pestering Nintendo to reconsider. And it worked. Nintendo was finally like, okay... If you really, really want to work on this licensed game, first-person shooter, on a console, whatever, good luck. So now that the game was uncancelled, Rare was free to work on their concept, and it was going to be an objective-based first-person shooter. See, you wouldn't just try and kill all the enemies and find the exit, there'd be requirements. You had to meet up with certain characters, you had to collect certain files, you had to collect certain weapons. It was unlike anything else, and the more the difficulty ramped up, the more objectives you would have and it made it really feel like James Bond. But the final touch was easily the most important, as just before the game launched, they actually added multiplayer, a four-player deathmatch mode, which became a must-play on the Nintendo 64, and really made GoldenEye a killer app for the Nintendo 64 that really pushed controller sales. Didn't really push the Nintendo 64 sales, but more people bought controllers just to play GoldenEye. See, over here in America, it was like, oh, Mario, okay. Oh, Zelda, wow. What are you, five? We want some adult stuff. So the kids over in college are like, shit, Goldeneye, that's my game. That's where uh, the Nintendo 64 was the success. Uh, but we almost got a very different version of the multiplayer. You see, originally Rare wanted all the actors who played James Bond to be selectable, but they couldn't get the rights. But you can still activate this through a Game Shark. But anyway, Goldeneye is still so fondly remembered. It actually eclipses the film it's based off of. That says a lot. 22 years ago, on the Super Nintendo, Chrono Trigger was released. Now, I feel like Chrono Trigger gets enough coverage as is, uh, so I'd like to take a look at an angle that rarely gets mentioned. Specifically, why was Chrono Trigger such a huge deal over in Japan? Like, it was an event when it was released. But how could that be? It was the first game in a yet-to-be-established franchise. Well, check this out. Before Squaresoft and Enix merged... They were rivals, kind of like Xbox and PlayStation, Sega and Nintendo, stuff like that. But Chrono Trigger was a merger of, of celebrated creators. They had Yuji Horii, who had designed every single Dragon Quest game, which of course is a huge franchise over in Japan. And they also had Dragon Ball creator Akira Toriyama, already a big deal by himself, but he also designed the characters and the style, the art style of, you guessed it, Dragon Quest. And now they were going to be working alongside the team that developed Final Fantasy IV, five and six this was the equivalent of a super group i mean think about this 
Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest. They're rivals, and now they're going to make a single game. That's a big deal. And it shows, because Chrono Trigger is one of the best video games of all time. But you probably already know that. But here's the fun fact. There's actually a semi-sequel. And no, I'm not talking about Chrono Cross. I'm talking about Radical Dreamers. Again, that was exclusively released on the Satellaview, which was kind of like a download service like Sega Channel, but for the Super Nintendo over in Japan. And it has received a fan translation, so you can go play it if you know where to look. But before you get too excited, it's a visual novel. So... You don't really play much, but it's it's cool still. It's pretty cool. 24 years ago, back in 1993, Jurassic Park was launched on the Genesis. Now, here's another game that I'm going to have to admit is not great, but I love it. You see, you could either play as a human or you could play as a raptor. There were two different campaigns. You could either play as a human, use an electric gun, and fight dinosaurs, or you could play as the raptor and eat humans. How cool is that? But the best part about this entire game happened right when you booted it up because there was a T-Rex that yelled Sega. What more do you need? 27 years ago, on the Sega Genesis, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker was released. Now laugh all you want. This game was badass back in the day. And you gotta understand, Michael Jackson was the coolest person ever before we knew he fucked kids. Then we all decided we didn't really like Michael Jackson anymore. Seriously, I don't understand how people can still be like, no, he's the greatest of all time. Like, no. No. But the game... The game was... Uh, it's still kind of fun. It's not really Michael Jackson. It's a fake one. So you play as Michael Jackson, right? And these sprites are huge. And the music is perfectly synthesized through the Genesis FM synthesizer. So you get to hear songs like Bad through your Genesis, which was badass. It was awesome. And you got to kick out magic from your feet. And you can make everybody dance to death. Oh, and uh, Michael Jackson can turn to a giant robot that fires missiles. I don't know why either. Anyway, finally, 30 years ago in the United States, on the NES, The Legend of Zelda was released. Now, we actually talked about the 30th anniversary of Zelda last year, and I don't think I can really cover anything that you haven't heard of when it comes to the development of Zelda itself, but speaking specifically about the American release, we have to talk about Minoru Arakawa. This is a really important guy. He never gets talked about. He was the president and founder of Nintendo of America. And he was not a Yamamuchi family member. He actually married into the family. Uh, his wife, Yoko Yamamuchi, of course, is the daughter of Yamamuchi, the Yamamuchi from Nintendo. And by the way, Yoko is also another major part of Nintendo of America that never gets enough credit. Huge, huge part. Uh, in fact, they tried to found it originally in, in New York and they got all the Donkey Kong cabinets out there. Tons of history there. You gotta check it out. Or, wait a minute. No, they were not doing Donkey Kong in New York. That, they were in Seattle by that point. Right. Whatever. Getting my history screwed up. Anyway, Arakawa, the president of Nintendo of America, he didn't really play games. He didn't really understand games, but he understood focus testing. Take the product to a customer and let them tell you what they think. So when Zelda arrived, he, uh, he did like he did with all the other games that he received. He handed off to his game testers. And their responses were generally the make or break of a video game. If they liked a game, it got released. And if they didn't, it didn't get released. Look at Super Mario Bros. 2. They keep saying, oh, the Japanese thought we were too stupid. No, 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 no. It wasn't the Japanese. It was some Western people over in Washington. For real. And I mean Washington in the state. I'm not talking about Congress saying, no, no Mario 2. Whatever. That's a whole different story. Anyway, these testers sit down. They play Zelda. And they don't like it. It was completely baffling. The puzzles were obtuse, and it also didn't help that they couldn't read katakana. That's Japanese. Uh, simplified alphabet. But when they handed in their reports, 
they were all really enthusiastic. They were all really positive on Zelda, and Arika was totally confused. He's like, wait a minute. I know these guys didn't like this game just a couple of days ago, and now they have these reports here where they're saying, oh, it's really good. It's an amazing game. So he was conflicted, but at the end of the day, he agreed with the tester, and uh, he approved Zelda's English production. And you know what? I think there's a life lesson in here. If you really think about it, even if you don't like something, you should stick with it. Because you're never sure where it's going to take you. I mean, hell, had those testers stopped playing when they realized they didn't like Zelda, we might not have Zelda in America. And what I guess I'm trying to say is that, yes, life is short, and there's a vast landscape of entertainment and activities out there. Why should you settle for something that is less than or mediocre? But if I can take this slightly off topic, how many hours of your life have you spent trying to find something to do or watch or read or play? Even if you already have something right in front of you, you go, nope, I'm going to go and do something else. And then you end up looking at the Netflix queue for like an hour. Now, I'm not saying you're always going to love the thing that you're watching or playing or whatever, but you should stick with it because I guarantee if you stick with it, you're going to learn something just like they did with the original Zelda. And that's one to grow on. All right, whatever. That's going to have to do it for Strong History. Good show. Good show. Uh, but now it is time to close up the show. This has been a long one, and I am trying to watch SummerSlam tonight because, like I said, I like my pro wrestling. I really, really do. Uh, what's going to be happening this week? I don't know. I, I have to put up a video on Sonic Mania, and I really don't know what I'm going to do. I really don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have another interview up with uh, another developer. Please go and watch the one that I did with Rafi. He, he's working on the game called uh, uh, The Moonfields. It looks really good. Highly recommend it. But yes, that's going to do for this episode of The Pressure Cast. We are counting down to episode 200. Uh, but don't forget, today, if you're listening to this in the morning, the eclipse is going to happen. Yes, there's going to be an eclipse. It's only going to last 2 minutes and 30 seconds, and then then you won't see another eclipse probably for the rest of your life, because it's, uh, it's it won't happen again for another 99 years. But The Pressure Cast will never end. Well, it will, but The Pressure Cast is forever. Bye, everybody. <laughs>